The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. For the Culture Club today, we're joined by Jack L. Jack Lukeman is with us. He is back at the Three Arena on the 25th of November and he's a new album coming out. Jack, good to see you. How are you keeping? Very good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I love the show. You've been touring, I believe, have you? Well, I was, yeah, I kind of kept touring all as much as I could during the lockdowns outside of doing live streams. And then, yeah, last year was pretty busy. I was, uh, I spent a couple of months, most of the summer in the UK, turned around there. I was in Germany supporting Sting. And yeah, loads of mad things. Sting, what was that like? Great, yeah. It was a, it was a gig that had been on the cards for like between lockdown and him getting sick and the first time. It was three years it, it waiting on it. So it was nice when it happened and uh, it was lovely to meet him. You know, he's a very down to earth fella. And uh, yeah, I knew his son um, who had supported me. And uh, I. it was a, just, just so amazing to see him doing his thing, uh, playing bass and... Uh, singing those amazing songs you know side stage because he would be a musical hero because for the Culture Club your choice of the first single you've ever bought is The Police yes indeed yeah so it was very early on uh, it was uh, I think it was between myself and my brother we never figured out who actually owned the single it was, uh, but uh, yeah it was one of the first singles Walking on the Moon and uh, has that great bass riff and uh, just just a f- fantastic uh, com- and, and having gone on and trying to learn some of Sting's songs uh, as you know even during the lockdown and I was doing loads of different uh, different artists, very complex songs. You know, uh, uh, some of them could be almost classical in, in the in the chord structures and that. So it's uh, very interesting to approach them from that angle. Also, let's just hear a little bit of "Walking on the Moon." Yes, he was. He was one of the first. To, he uses a lot of reverb and delay on his kit as well, which doubles up, gives it a, you know a triple kind of time. And he was. He's my favorite drummer, also. But you grew up listening to loads of music in those, didn't you? Yeah, well, there would have been the Police, uh, also my brother, we had Pink Floyd. Uh, my sister was into ABBA, and my mother was into the Beatles and my father was into the old crooners so I kind of got all the, the generations I suppose and anybody who grows up I mean at that time you grew up listening to your brothers and sisters records more than your own so uh, I think I got a good taste of everything really 
But I, I read once that you, the radio would have been a big thing with your parents as well, and even listening to things like Tom Waits, the piano has been drinking at a young age. One of, well, it's a very early memory is hearing that song uh, on the radio, and it's such an unusual song because he, he obviously pretends he's drunk and he plays the piano like he's drunk. But it kind of was the first time, I suppose, it, it was like theatre almost coming out through the uh, through the radio, it kind of opened my mind up to other ways to approach songs rather than you know playing characters. And uh, well, at what stage did you start thinking that you might like a career as a singer? Uh, well, it was always a crazy pipe dream, I suppose. I was always obsessed with music, and I had a voice soprano voice when I was a kid, and I could always sing. So that was always a pleasurable thing to do and a great escapism. Uh, I suppose it's like being born with a natural ability to play guitar or something like that. So. Uh, I always wanted to, never saw how I could, but then I just kind of went for it and just started busking and uh, went on from there, just playing all over the world. Busking, what was that like? Fantastic. Uh, great way to learn how to project your voice, how to, uh, you know, draw a crowd, um, what songs work, what songs don't work. And uh, just, it's like serving your apprenticeship. Yeah, I did most of my busking in Holland, actually, where I ran off to when I was about 18 to uh, uh, find my fortune. And uh, work, from working in bulb factories and fish factories to uh, getting on the street and, and busking where I was making more money doing than I was uh, doing anything else. So, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to your other choices. And uh, you n- nominated as your favourite album. This is not one that I would have expected, given the type of songs that you sing. Mm. Depeche Mode, you've gone for Violet. Yeah, I've been... I wanted Depeche... You know, like I say, you could, you could ask me tomorrow or in an hour and I'll tell you something different, but I'm on a Depeche Mode buzz at the moment. But yeah, Violator, 1990. Kind of a nice... Anybody who'd followed them from the 80s and all... It could see the growing kind of of the band and the, the evolution and the, the, the songwriting get her, getting better and better. And then Violator was 1919. It was like, it, it, was, it was quite a, a new era almost. So, uh, and they, it was probably their pinnacle of songwriting and, uh, and where they became, became into the mainstream, I suppose. Uh, just, just love it. Just the textures, the production, sonically. I would say if I, if I bought a stereo, it would be the album I would get and put on because it's just so still so sonically beautiful. The song we have is Enjoy the Silence.
Depeche Mode. Enjoy the silence. Yeah, I think that one was originally a ballad uh, that Martin Gore wrote that they were doing a lot of clubbing at the time as everybody was at the end of the 89, 90 and Acid House and club uh, music. So uh, they wanted to turn it into a dance song and uh, thankfully they did because it's probably their most known song outside of Just Can't Get Enough. Which is a classic song. Yeah. I think we recently we played uh, Personal Jesus again. Another and, classic, and yeah. And the Johnny Cash version of that as well. You've also nominated them as the best gig you're ever at. Now, you've probably been at loads of gigs. So yeah. what do you look for in a gig, given that you're somebody who performs so much yourself? Well, just uh, the communal sing-song, you can't deny it when you're at a gig, you know. And uh, I saw them doing the songs of Fate and Devotion tour in the point in about... Oh, the early naughty or the early 1993 or four, I'd say. And uh, it was just... It was just biblical it was like a, 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 a it was like a cult you know everybody just singing along and uh, that communal singing thing is a very old thing I think with, with humans uh, we've been doing it since we lit a campfire before it so there's something quite primordial about it that's uh, I think it's why people people want to experience something in real time you know together a communal experience so that's what gigs are to me and this one in particular is the one that stood out for you, although I presume you've been at countless gigs. Yeah, I've seen them several times, and uh, yeah, they would be... Uh, I mean, yeah, like I say, I've stood side stage and watched Sting do his thing there, so being at gigs in that capacity is just a whole other realm as well. Let's hear a little bit of Depeche Mode walking in my shoes. live there walking in my shoes they're playing in Malahide Castle next June yeah there. people are going to think I'm working for Depeche Mode <laughs> 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 uh, I will if I'm, if I'm in the country I'll be there yeah for sure Okay, now you've already mentioned your mother's love of the Beatles mm-hmm. and you've nominated the Beatles as your favourite band. Well, favourite band, I mean, they're the archetypal band or the perfect band. You had the, the great miracle of Paul McCartney and John Lennon, the two of the greatest songwriters of all time, being in the one band, competing with, with each other. There's many theories on how that came about. And then you had, um, uh, you know, other... The, Sorry, do you think the collaboration drove them to Oh, definitely, heights? yeah. And then you had that thing they say about genius, where if you work at something for uh, hours, uh, like uh, there's some 
amount of hours. Yeah, you're it's supposed a sort of to. the thousand hours type thing. So when they went yeah. to Hamburg and and gigged for like they did like you know five hour gigs playing every blues lick, everything you could learn, and just learning how to do that for it's amazing you could play for so long. As a lot of bands did back then, I think that was a process of learning that came about, and then from that, just the two of them sitting, they used to sit on a bed opposite each other kind of trying to outdo each other with lines and with songs. So I think that definitely... um, And then you had George Harrison coming up because the standard was so good. He had the right songs. As good, if not better. Uh, I mean, uh, Sinatra said something in the way it was one of the greatest songs ever written and uh, he he knew songs. Well, the one we're going to play is from the White Album and this is Happiness is a Warm Gun. (laughs) She's not a girl this is much Oh yeah She's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand Like a lizard on a windowpane The man in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors on his hobnail boots with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime A soap impression of his wife which he ate and donated to the National Trust Okay, Beatles from the White Album, Happiness is a Warm Gun. You know what you're doing to me here? You're sending me back tonight now to my Spotify list, whatever, right. to listen to that and to listen to Depeche Mode. Yeah, well, I, I was just uh, thinking I could have uh, picked Revolver, I suppose, as my favourite album, just as easy. It's one that uh, really uh, captured... I, I was actually... Li- I remember I was living in Holland and I was we were working in a factory and we were living in basically a shed beside the factory in the early 90s and somebody bought a stereo and somebody bought Revolver and it was the only album we had and it just even though I was tw- 20 or 30 years too late it blew my mind you know just because I, I knew the popular stuff and it was where I kind of got back into the Beatles I was more familiar with the greatest hits but something like Tomorrow Never Knows is still like a song from the future you know Just one thing before we head to break live streaming during COVID what was that like for you though because I would have thought that you feed off having an audience in front of you rather than doing it to a camera yeah, I, I I did, you know, I had a great time doing every Saturday night, 8 o'clock, it became a communal thing and everybody would show up and I'd do a gig of myself or different artists, but I, I kind of, I suppose I learned how to do it. The first one I did, the gaps in between, the dead air, you're going, what the hell is this? But then I started putting in fake applause, getting requests, <laughs> fill it, filling up the air, making it more, I suppose, like what a DJ does and uh, incorporating the music. So I, I kind of found a flow and a rhythm of doing it that I really enjoyed and uh, it's hilarious now I go out gigging and 
people who come to the gigs and they go, oh, we've never seen you live before. So you got We're, a new audience? Yeah, this yeah, day. we've only ever seen you on the internet. So I'm an internet sensation. <laughs> <laughs> Jack we need to take a break here on the Culture Club on the last word in Today FM. And we'll be back with all of your favourite non-musical choices after this. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Welcome back. Jack L is with us for the Culture Club tonight. Of course, he is playing in the Point Depot. What date are you back on? Oh, the 25th of November in the Three Arena. I keep calling it the point. Ah, I'm sure, that's, like that's that. the, I, I am too. I am too. But uh, you got to go with the time. New album as well. New album out called Echo One. Yeah, it's uh, like my 14th or 15th uh, studio album, and uh, it's kind of made pre and post, uh, more post uh, lockdown. Really, a lot of new songs on there. So it's been a while uh, coming about. It's the first original album in a few years. So yeah, delighted to get that out. Okay, favorite movie. What are you opting for? I went for Cool Hand Luke. Uh, with Paul Newman and uh, what's the guy's name? George, George Kennedy. George Kennedy. And uh, yeah, I just love it. Once again, I mean, most of the things I would pick will probably have music in them too. I love the Lalo Schifrin soundtrack. Lalo Schifrin did, uh, you know, Bullet and all those jazz uh, soundtracks. But this is kind of down south uh, in, in Bible Belt, Amer- America, where there's a lot of banjo and stuff. And I actually, in the lockdown sessions I was doing, I did a song, I did a movie tonight, and I did a song from this uh, movie where his his, uh, his mother um, passes away and he's stuck in jail, Paul Newman, and he picks up a banjo and starts to play Plastic Jesus, which is, uh, I don't care if it rains or freezes, long as I got me a Plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car beautiful song so uh, music as much as anything kind of uh, drew me to the movie but it's just I don't know it's one of those movies it's on you can't help but look at it it's always on TCM well what we have is the closing scene which George Kennedy which he won an Oscar for as Dragline here in Cool Hand Luke they took him right down that road what do he look like Drag yeah Drag what do he look like he had his eyes open and closed Drag he was smiling Smiling. <laughs> That's right. You know, that uh, that Luke smile of his. He had it on his face right to the very end. Hell, if they didn't know it for, they could tell right then that they weren't there going to beat him. <laughs> that old Luke smile. <laughs> old Luke. He was some boy. <laughs> It's a classic, yeah. And he he probably is a star, but uh, George Kennedy as much as anything, yeah. Now, favourite player, musical, the theatre show, you've gone for the sound of music. Yeah, I just think, you know, if, you know, in, in architectural terms, I think they have the gold circle where something is perfect architecturally. And I think the songs in the sound of music kind of have that quality about them. They're so evergreen, uh, you know, favourite things going on to be a great jazz standard just for melody and lyric uh, as musicals go uh, I, I find myself I prefer a lot of the old those old era kind of musicals Have you ever I, performed in any of them? I actually was in the sound of music in school when I was in the CBS at Thai back in gee I don't know what year that was in the 80s somewhere um, Just when you were still a boy soprano or had the voice uh, No uh, my voice thankfully broke at that stage I think <laughs> it must have done if they gave me the part uh, so singers a lot of Edelweiss beautiful songs um, you know, very much so. You know, they've got all the. I don't know. They're just, they're just from a songwriting point of view and a lyrical point of view. They're just perfect. 
you know, climb every mountain. Have uh, you done any musicals though since you left school? Um, have I, I, I was in a, a short movie called uh, I I Hate Musicals, the musical. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know, I Hate Musicals, the movie, that was it. Um, but no, I ha- I'm trying to think. I mean, I've done loads of different stuff. I've done a lot of theatre shows where music would have been, of uh, my own stuff, where music would have been obviously a large part of it. Um, but no, I've never been drawn into musicals or, or doing musicals. I kind of like the, I don't like the idea of doing the same thing every night. I kind of like the... Um, the looseness of playing gigs and playing with the energy kind of. So when you're doing a gig, so you don't have a set list, do you? I might have a beginning, I might have an end, but when you get when you do it a long time, you can you know you can you, you don't rely on set lists as much. Uh, you can kind of go where the energy is that evening, and you know your band must love you for that, though, do they? Well, I mean, I've, I always have bands, I suppose, good enough that they can kind of follow me wherever I go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I play a lot solo as well, where you can go where you like. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, a gig is as much about playing with the moment, really. Let's move on to favourite book or author. This is one we've had a couple of times. Pat McCabe's Butcher Boy. Why have you picked that? Well, it's just, I think it's the quintessential Irish novel. It captures something very Irish that is very hard to capture. Uh, it's obviously a dark, uh, it's a dark comedy. Um, you know, it's like a Dennis the Menace in an Irish context uh, in Catholic Ireland. And it's just such a, it's also just such a melancholy kind of sad Book, but it leaves you uplifted at the end anyway. Um, I know Pat, I, myself and Pat uh, do, do a theatre show every now and then. There's a theatre show actually where he reads and I sing a song. We've done it for years uh, here, there and everywhere around the world, you know, kind of combining both. And I just, it's one of the few books that ever made me cry, I think. You know, it's just, it's got it all. And then to be made into the amazing movie by Neil Jordan just enhanced the whole thing. Um so yeah, it's, it's it would be one of my favourites. It's a wonderful book, wonderful movie too, but let's get an extract of Pat McCabe reading his own book, The Butcher Boy. Mrs Connolly said, well, I'd best be off now. I've left his dinner on the stove and you know what men are like if you don't look after them. I've a bit of business to do, said Da. You'll be all right. And handed me two bob. Then off he went to see about his business. Tower bar business, that is. I didn't know anything about Ma, but Joe filled me in. I heard Mrs. Connolly saying breakdown. What's breakdown, Joe, I says. Oh, that's when you're took off to the garage, Joe told me. It's when the truck comes and tows you away. <laughs> that's a good one, I thought. Ma towed away off up the street with the coat on. Who's that, they'd say. Oh, that's Mrs. Brady. They're taking her off to the garage. Joe said there was some crack in this town, and there sure was. Hand me down the spanner. I think Mrs. Brady's ankle needs tightening. Oh, no, I said. What a laugh. Ah, it's brilliant. Pat Uh, McCabe, the butcher boy. Amazing. Television. What did you watch when you were growing up? Well, I was a big Incredible Hulk fan. Uh, I I, I was... uh, It just caught me. Uh, uh, You know, when you had the one channel. I'm sure it could have been two channels at that stage. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, I was guilty. I would bend every spoon in the house. uh, (laughs) And I would try ripping my shirt like the Hulk did. And I was... uh, I went a bit Hulk mad for a while, I think. A lot of kids do that. <laughs> As an adult, what are you going for? Well, not much not much different, still a big child. I went for The Mandalorian, uh, which I watched during the lockdown, which is a, a star, another Star Wars 
interesting, one of the good ones, uh, probably one of the best ones they've done. It's kind of, a, I suppose, a spaghetti western in space, but to watch how they've... Um, uh, you know, enhance the special effects. They used a different kind of thing where they would have an actual screen behind them with the footage on it rather than a green screen. So it gives it, a, it's just beautiful to look at. The soundtrack, again, is amazing. And somewhere in the depths of lockdown, uh, Luke Skywalker. Oh, I'm actually, it's a spoiler, close your ears. Luke Skywalker <laughs> came back to save the day. Um, so it was kind of, a, it was nice, you know, hero myth kind of stuff happening in the middle of all that darkness of being locked down. I've never actually seen it, so let's have a clip from the very first episode, starring uh, Pedro Pascal, who was terrific actually in Narcos, as the Mandalorian and here he's meeting the client, played by Werner Herzog and some stormtroopers. Grief Karga said you were coming. did he say he said you were the best in the parsec Three. no drop your weapons no 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 pardon uh sorry i didn't mean to alarm uh, this is dr pershing please excuse his lack of decorum his enthusiasm outweighs his discretion Please lower your blaster. Have them lower theirs first. We have you four to one. I like those odds. So for people who say Star Wars is really sort of a cowboy thing in space, that sounds a bit like a cowboy shootout, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it completely is, but it's just done so well, I suppose. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about Star Wars is it's for both adults and kids, uh, kind of crosses both the things. So, and I'd be, I was, uh, as a kid, uh, an 80s child, I had the old Star Wars figures and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of, you go along with it, you know. Okay, for our final question, we asked listeners to give us their cultural buried treasure. Anything that you would recommend to anyone that perhaps has been overlooked? And you've gone for a really interesting and different choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I answered these questions on the fly, but uh, Paul Robeson sprung to mind because uh, he's anybody who's interested in folk music, he obviously pre-de- just about came about when, when music was being recorded, but a lot of the songs he sang uh, predate copyright. They are folk songs. Um, and uh, he was... So, so it's fascinating from that point of view as a songwriter just discovering... Um, uh, you know, something like No More Auction Block was a song he sang, which the melody uh, Dylan took for Blowing in the Wind. Uh, as regards folk music, uh, you know, translating into different things or transmuting. Um, but uh, he was also just an amazing person. He could sing in Chinese. He's famous. I, I gig in Wales and I still meet, because I do Old Man River, the version, he kind of rewrote the lyrics later in his life. People come up to me and say, I actually saw uh, Paul Robeson live, which is crazy. Um, but he was a renaissance man, you know, he was one of the first uh, black men to play uh, Hamlet uh, on a, a, a solicitor. He became, he was uh, one of the first to play American football. And then the American government, because he was a communist, um, uh, destroyed him, took away his passport, did all kinds of mad MK Ultra stuff on him. Him and his son, they dosed him with acid um, and tried to ruin him, and pretty much so did. So he kind of, he's like, kind of like Muhammad Ali, but predates Muhammad Ali. Um, so uh, nobody's really, there's a few documentaries, but nothing kind of solid that sums up 
what an amazing individual he was. And his voice then, on top of all that, he had this voice that sounded like an oak tree. Well, we actually have an old recording of him singing Old Man River from Showboat. There's an old man called Mississippi That's the old man that I'd like to be What does he care if the world's got troubles? What does he care if the land ain't free? Something, but don't say nothing. He just keeps rolling. He keeps on rolling along. He don't plant taters. He don't plant cotton. And damn that planter is so forgotten. But old man river, he just keeps rolling along. You and me, we sweat and strain, body all aching and wrecked with pain. Tote that barge, lift that bale, get a little drunk. And you land in jail. You could do this in a way that I couldn't describe that voice for me because it's so deep. Well, I was just saying it sounds like an oak tree, you know. It sounds like it has knowledge. And, uh, yeah, he was just amazing. Uh, you know, if you listen to him singing Ode to Joy and stuff like that as well, it's just amazing. He did so many different types of music. Very much so kind of in the, you know, the John McCormick kind of thing. All those, I love all those old songs. You know, they're just, they're beautiful as well, you know, and, and they're kind of lost in time. So, uh I like to. I like you to do some music arranged from that through to Depeche Mode. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I've always been, and we've 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 covered them all today, really. So yeah, I, I've just had a very. I, all music has always obsessed me, and then when you're when you become a singer, you become a musician, you become a, a, a producer, making sonics itself and what it can do on all levels. You know, you're covering everything, so it's a it's a, it's a never it never ends. It's a never ending learning curve being in music and appreciation of music, even, you know, awful pop songs, you listen to them for the sonic quality or for whatever, you you know what's going on, basically, and you can tell, I suppose, they say there's two kinds of music, good music and bad music, I don't know. <laughs> we'll leave it on that note. Jack L, it's been terrific having you for the Culture Club. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.